Well, welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. We're so glad that you are listening with us. This week, we have the three amigos once again. We have myself, Joseph Castillo. We have Michelle Masterson. And as always, Randy Dandy Dang joining us. I'm here, man. I'm, I'm extra dandy. <laughs> extra dandy. Uh, all right. Well, the hope of this podcast, again, is to turn Sunday's message into a conversation and to really uh, deep dive onto some of the more confusing things, some of the hard things, and also just to um, talk about things that deserve a conversation. And I think this week is a great example. And so uh, jumping right in, guys, uh, what was a moment when you tried hard to impress someone and then did it work? <laughs> Never. I've never done yeah. that. I mean, it's if never you're not impressed, that's on you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't control all your natural. To me. <laughs> no, one, 100% I tried to impress Jeff um, when we were first becoming friends. As a friend, he was going to come over to my house and um, hang a TV up on my wall. And I had been moved into my house for almost two years at that point, but there were still um, many places that had not been finished painted yet, like the walls weren't done being painted. (laughs) And I was really concerned about what Jeff would think of me if he came in and it looked like I had just moved into that house. He didn't seem like somebody who doesn't complete projects. So at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, Meredith King came over and helped me finish painting my house before Jeff came over the next day. (laughs) Wow. And he was impressed. (laughs) Did he walk in and say, man, it really smells like paint in your house. (laughs) Is that candle called fresh paint? You know what the name of the paint color was? <laughs> gravel pit. Man killer. Isn't that the worst name? Gravel for pit. Paint? Gravel pit. Wow. Does it look good? So my story of impressing somebody is actually uh, similar. It had nothing to do with paint, but it was about drawing. So Ashley and I were probably <laughs> about sixteen, seventeen, maybe something like that. And I wanted to impress her. Uh, we had known each other for a while, but we were becoming friends. And uh, this is so cheesy, but like I, I was sketching her. <laughs> like, like I did a sketch. I did a sketch of like her head. And I mean, like people are so hard to draw. So never, never draw the face of someone you're crushing on. Where is it? Because it's Where not, it? not going to go well. I, we don't have it. I wish we did, but we don't. And uh, but I would say. You know, 23 years and three kids later, it worked. (laughs) 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 I straight up sketched her face. Oh, man, I did not know that story. We have to find that. I don't think it exists. I don't think it exists. (laughs) You're definitely a doodler, but I've never seen you draw people. Yeah, yeah. That is so bad. But people are hard, and especially people that, you know, you want them to. Yeah, what you, was her reaction? Like what was her reaction when you showed her? She loved it. She said, she, she was, I will marry you, yes. <laughs> yeah, she loved it. I mean, here we are. <laughs> uh, my example for sure, uh, I think I may tell this uh, on Sunday in, in the message, uh, was definitely similar. Uh, I wanted to really impress Emily. And our first date was we were taking both of our dogs, each of our dogs, 
uh, like to a dog park that was near a river and a trail. And I remember I was just a young bachelor with a kind of a six month old puppy. And I, I, (laughs) my dog was so rowdy, like just so untrained. And I remember sitting my dog down saying like, listen, I know you are crazy and not the least bit trained, but I need you to pretend for like an hour. And just like just r- running like, drills. As if the untrained dog can understand all your, yeah. your instructions. No, I'm like out there running drills with her before we go. Like sit, <laughs> like listen to me. Uh, and so we, we we go on this our date and it's going well. And like my dog's just pulling the leash like crazy. <laughs> and uh, we get to a spot where we're like, let's let our dogs off. I'm like, yeah, sure. That's a good idea, whatever. And there's lots of people here in this like body of water, like hanging out. Uh, swimming in it too, and and Willie's like, "Is that your dog?" And I look over, and my dog is in the water, which she loves to swim, and she's going to the bathroom among all these people. And this is Austin, number one or number two, uh, the second one. And this is Austin, Texas, where people are like, "Is that your dog?" Like, get your dog, and like people freaking out, and I just like, we need to go now. Uh, so. I don't think it worked. I don't think I impressed her very much, but uh, we overcame. I should have just drawn her a picture. I had no idea an untrained dog could be such a turnoff. Okay, well, uh, the reason we're talking about that is because we're going to talk about the temptation to please people today. And as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, we see Jesus explain to a group of religious leaders who are already frustrated that he he's reminding them that all things are pointing to the fact that he is the son of God, that his claims are true, and yet the religious leaders do not believe him. And so if you read the first kind of passage there, Jesus starts to explain that everything is pointing to him as being the son of God, and they just are not seeming to get it. And so my first question to you guys are, what are the different things Jesus points to as evidence or witnesses that he is who he claims to be? Uh, yeah, he starts with John the Baptist, and uh, and I think that's just, I think it's a, a great one for us to think about as we continue our journey with Jesus through John, um, because John was such a big figure in the first chapters and some of the first uh, messages that we walked through, and just remembering like what it was for John to be on the scene and how much attention John was getting, and then John being this person that was constantly choosing to deflect his attention, his followers, and all the glory, and push it to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, remember that John, the eccentric one, like he was testifying about me. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, just a great reminder about John the Baptist. Something I learned this week is that, you know, like this whole section with Jesus and and talking to them has kind of been a trial, like a little bit of an informal trial. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned that Jewish trials were largely based on testimony and that a lot of times the witness that had the most honor, like had the best title um, or whatever like that usually ended up winning the argument because they cared a lot about titles, as we'll see in a little bit. And so the part I love about John the Baptist is that Jesus said, you know, John, he was somebody that y'all thought was pretty great for a while, like kind of reminding them, you know, until he started pushing you outside of your comfort zone, y'all were, y'all were listening. He's got some clout. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Jesus is basically like, okay, if John... 
the Baptist is not enough for you, then um, how about the Father, who is also my Father, by the way, and uh, yeah. and he has testified about me in all of the scriptures, and so he's like, maybe maybe John's testimony isn't trustworthy for you, but I will tell you the scriptures that are your source of authority. Well, they actually test about testify about me too. Hmm. Yeah, and then he talks about how his own miracles that he's been performing that they're watching him perform because they're getting angry about you know the day of the week he's performing them Mm -hmm. like that's that's some testimony too and so he says man you got this testimony you've got john you've got the miracles and you've got the scriptures from the father and you refuse to come to me to find life Mm -hmm. and you don't believe these testimonies yeah well i think that's a perfect tie-in to the next question, you know, Jesus saying everything is pointing to this being true. Of I am who I am claiming to be, and yet you don't believe. And so the next question is, how does Jesus criticize the religious leaders' use of their Bible, their Old Testament scriptures? And then how does that inform how we read our Bible? Because they knew them well. Many of them had it memorized. And Jesus is saying, the scriptures that you search yeah. talk about me, and yet you are missing it. Yeah, I think another title for this week could have been Missing the Point. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll be the one who brings up Tim Keller this week. We still need to find a little uh, jingle for him every time (laughs) we mention his name. But um, he talked about how, you know, these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, they were so well-versed in the scriptures. They were very, very diligent scripture students and Jesus is basically saying you who have poured your life into studying these words you you're missing it as much as somebody who's never heard it and doesn't believe it at all mm. like that had to step on some toes mm. well and i think too the the reality is they they were anticipating messiah Right, like they yeah. were anticipating a Christ, and that the scriptures had testified that a Christ was coming. They weren't making the connection that Jesus was the Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what he's calling him out for. And and honestly, man, I I try to think through that in a way that I'm like, you know, having more compassion for them in a sense, which is is you know, I mean, Jesus is pretty blunt with them, um, but like for us in terms of how we read our Bibles. We have the benefit of the connection being made that Jesus yeah. is the Christ, you know, and so we read our Bibles with with a Christ lens, with a Jesus lens, and and we know now on the other side of His coming, His resurrection, that He is the Christ, you know, and and they were the ones that were in the boat of, you know, this was Joseph and Mary's son, and uh, and and that's how they knew Him. Um, so anyway. I mean, I think we can learn from them, but I also think we we come at this from a very different experience. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I'm always trying to put myself in the Pharisee's shoes and just how (laughs) radical this would have seemed with Jesus coming on the scene. And, um, you know, Randy, you talked about how blunt Jesus was with them, and he was. I think we've got such a great example in this passage of what it looks like to combine the truth with love because he he literally says i say these things so that you may be saved like he's not just trying to outwit them or something he's trying to tell them who he is 
Mm. I think it's good. I think part of it too, Randy, is they even though they knew what to expect and they were waiting, they kind of inserted their own what they wanted him to be like. And when he didn't meet that expectation, yeah, no they they rejected him. And I think you know the second part of the question: How does it inform how we read our Bibles? I think it's just reminding ourselves the whole Bible is about Jesus. It attests to him. It prepares us and to to be looking to him. And I just think that's a good reminder um, for us that. You well, know, and I Jesus think his, his frustration with them is that that they were settling for less, right? They had their own ideas and conceptions of what the Messiah should be, and it had everything yeah. to do with the physical and the temporary and nothing to do with the mm-hmm. spiritual and the eternal. And Jesus is like, man, your concept is so short of what God is actually doing, what I, as God, am doing in my coming, and and I want you to, to not settle for the physical and the temporary and the political, but for the spiritual, the eternal, and to find that in me there's forgiveness of sins, there's deliverance from your true enemy, sin, not your your current present political enemy Rome. Yeah. I think that when it comes to the well, I was just going back to the second question in that with of how should this inform how we read our Bibles. I think one thing that comes out here a little bit is whether we treat um studying the Bible as the end or the means. Like do we study the Bible for knowledge? for the sake of knowledge? Do we study the Bible for the sake of, you know, maybe even like them, like impressing somebody with how much we know? Mm -hmm. Or do we study it as the means to know who every word is pointing toward? Yeah. Well, and also for relationship, right? Because it's mm-hmm. it's God's spoken word, and so it is it is a means of conversation and God's communication for us. And so we come to it not just for the sake of knowledge, but we come to it for the sake of communion with God. You know, and it, yeah. it's extremely relational, and we're listening to God as He speaks to us. And uh, yeah, so good. But I, I do I want to go back and Joseph, I kind of want to plug something. Like as we think about reading our Bible with a, a Jesus lens. Um, like one of the things I love to recommend to people is that they would actually go get uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a children's Bible, and and that's basically what it does. It starts from the beginning and moves through the Old Testament into the New Testament, and it constantly shows how each and every piece and part of the big picture of the story of God in these particular stories and characters point to Jesus. And so I think it's just a really great tool, even for adults, uh, to train our minds to have a Christ-centric view of Scripture reading and to really have a gospel-informed view of, of the whole story of God. The um, big picture. So, yeah, and I just I want adults to know, man, there's no shame in that game. Like It will be a beautiful way no. for you to not only learn how to have the Jesus lens, but also for you to connect these characters, the main characters of the Bible, who they are, what their purpose was, and how they fit into God's big story. It's just a super helpful resource. So good. For sure. So if you continue reading... In verse 44, Jesus is talking to... If you're wondering, how do these religious leaders know it so well and yet miss Jesus? Uh, Jesus himself says in verse 44, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And Jesus is saying, the reason you've missed all these things that are pointing to me is because they're accepting glory from one another. They are living for themselves and to please people instead of looking to God and what he wants. And I just think as we read that, and Jesus is talking to people over 2,000 years ago, it is so relevant even to us today. And so the next question is, why is the desire to please people such a powerful temptation? I think one of the biggest reasons is because we crave acceptance. You know, we, mm-hmm. we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. 
we want to be appreciated and uh, and we want to have connection, you know? I mean, that's such a, a core human need. And I think one of the reasons why we look at it to people, uh, we look to people for that is because it's tangible, it's physical, uh, it's yeah. right in front of us. And, and, and sometimes... Uh, I think it's again going to that idea of settling for less, you know, like we're, we're going, we're taking the easier route and settling for less when what God says to us is I've got an unconditional kind of love and acceptance that just takes you the way that you are. And I've got a grace uh, that makes it possible for you to come to me in spite of yourself. And, uh, and that's so much better than whatever it is that you're trying to pursue through people. I agree with that 100%. The first thing that came to my mind was the tangible aspect of it. I think there's a little bit of an element of immediate gratification there too. Yeah. Um, oh, you yeah. know, if, if you do something for people, like you get that reaction right away and you can see it, you can hear it. And um, when we're working to please God, it, it's more of a kind of a long burn sometimes, you know, like we have the peace that comes with that relationship with God and, and striving to please him and bring glory to him. But I do think there's a little bit of an immediate gratification there, at least for me. Well, and you know, another thing that I think serves as a barrier to people is misconceptions about God, right? Like so many people, I think, have this conception of God that sees him as an ogre, uh, instead of as uh, hard a, to please a loving father, yeah, right. Like I could never gain his approval in that sense because he's so hard to please. When the whole time he's saying, "Man, because of my grace, you don't have to work to please me." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think their their misconception of God keeps them from from you know trying to engage in that relationship. That's good. Uh, I, you know, it's what Jesus said, Michelle, in the same way you're talking, when he said the people who pray out loud and the people who show off, they receive their reward. They get what they're, they're hoping to get. The people yeah. see them. But he's, he talks about you know, those who are doing things so that God, uh, to please God, is, is just different. And I, I think what I like about this, or at the same time don't like about it, is so many times these examples are the tension pieces between the religious leaders and Jesus, like don't make are hard for me to make personal connections to, like their rules on the Sabbath and their religious rules they've had for so long. Like it's I don't live in that, and so it's different for me to to relate to it. But something like this, where Jesus talks about the the temptation to please people or to gain personal glory, it's like man that. You, he's nailing me. Even if he, these are this is a conversation that happened thousands of years ago, it's just as relevant today. Yeah. So I think a natural question to to go from there is: Is it possible to accept the praise of others and still live for the glory of God, or how do you navigate that? I think that's such an interesting question. I'm going to wait for y'all to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me think. It makes me think of a, a phrase that we use all the time around the the church office. And that's like thinking through things in terms of is it a problem to solve or is it a tension to manage? And, mm-hmm. and we go, man, that, you know, that, that's not a problem you're going to solve. Uh, it's really more of a tension that you just have to live with and deal with and learn to manage. And then there are some things it's like, no, 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 that is a problem and you solve it. And to me, like this kind of falls into that tension to manage kind of category um, because it, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of walking a, a tightrope. So like, my answer to the question, is it possible to accept the praise of others and still live for the glory of God? I, I think it is. 
Um, but it's, it's a deflection, right? It's this perspective where we see ourselves as, as a, a conduit that God is using. And so anything that, that flows through us that is praiseworthy ultimately should bring a, a glory back to God. And, and, you know, I mean, that sounds super spiritual, but even just like taking it down to the nuts and bolts of life, like just any ability that we have as Christlers, we believe is God given because he's our creator. And so at the most fundamental level, it's like anything that any good that I'm capable of is something that God should get the credit for. Mm-hmm. And so then if I'm walking this tightrope, uh, what I'm going to do is just try to try to deflect by reflecting. And so go, man, yeah, yes, yo, thank you. You know, be polite, but then also at the same time say, you know, praise God for that. Like if you've seen this good, then that's a that's a goodness of God that 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 has flown, you know, through me is flowing through me. And so, you know, I, I think that's that kind of both end of, you know, yeah, you thank you and praise God. I don't know if y'all experience this. Did either one of y'all, and I'm not even really sure like what church I was in where this was kind of a thing, but it almost seemed for a while that when it came to this question, it was almost like you shouldn't say thank you. Like it, it, for a little while, there was almost this this thing where if somebody complimented you or anything like that, um, like even if it was for a spiritual reason, that you couldn't say thank you. To say thank you was, you know, accepting that praise as if it was you. And, you know, there were like other responses that you could say to people. But to this day, like I have a hard time just saying a simple thank you sometimes. Um, Did either one of y'all ever experience that? Uh. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, no, I think I'm familiar. I think I'm familiar with what what you're talking about for sure. Um, but I think, like for me, it goes back to the Lord. You know, God knows our heart, right? And so, yep. and yep. so, like in the moment when I'm saying thank you, and God knows that that I'm trying to ultimately deflect yep. and reflect. Uh, he knows my heart and it ultimately matters. You know, that's what matters. It, it, he knows the hearts of people. And I think this yeah. is all, everything about this is a heart issue. And so I think let's, I'd be less concerned about, you know, kind of the minutia of how you handle the, the balance and more concerned about what's going on in your heart. And that's where we really need to do the battle because I, I know, like, I'll be honest, like that's, that's where the battle belongs in my life because I, I, I can, I can like praise, right? I can like the approval of people. Mm. I have a personality that, that, that kind of can crave that if I'm not careful. And so it's a constant searching of our hearts and just asking God to, to, to weed that out of us and to replace it with a desire for his glory. Yeah. Mm. I think that's good. And, you know, the the deflect and reflect piece of that, sometimes I say it out loud, sometimes I don't. But I think there for a while it was like anything. Like if somebody was like, hey, great color of lipstick. I really like your lipstick. You were expected to be like, praise God, you know, like give him the glory. (laughs) And I don't know, it was it was like this very specific window in time, I guess. Well, one of the things I have in the study guide is for us to kind of turn to Acts 14 and, and a story that I love. Uh, it's the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are preaching and going through different places, and they come across somebody who's paralyzed, and they heal him. And the people there are so amazed 
uh, and they have no context really for for who these guys are. They don't. They haven't quite understood the gospel yet, and so they start to worship them as gods, Paul and Barnabas. And they say the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, and they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. And on verse 14, this is chapter 14, verse 14, says, When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature with you. Uh, and just explaining away, we are not who you think we are. We are just normal people. And uh, kind of the next question was, what can we learn from his reaction to the praise of people? And I think everything I always think of, uh, and I think about this and the natural temptation I have to love people's praise, uh, there's an illustration I always remember, and I think I may share it on Sunday. It says, it's like, you know, imagine you needed a surgery and it was the last minute, it was just a life-saving surgery that you needed. And there was a surgeon there who was perfectly uh you know, in the position and he knew what to do and he saved your life with the surgery. And when you come out on the other end healed and, and healthy, you just tell the nurses, oh, I'm so thankful. Um, I just, would you please go find the scalpel for me? I just need to, I just need to thank it. And like as silly as that is, <laughs> as silly as that is, in the grand scheme of things and in the perspective, that's kind of the right mindset of like, yeah. when we think about ourselves, yeah. you know, Paul is saying, you know, that would have been interesting to people literally bow down and worship you as gods. And yet he was, it's not just, it was, it's always interesting. He, not, he didn't just deflect. For him, he felt the necessary, he tore his garments and rushed out, you know, crying out, you are so wrong. Like he was just adamant about, do not worship me. I'm merely a tool. I am merely the one God is using, like worship him. And I just, it's always stood out to me. Yeah, I love this scalpel yeah. illustration because it, it, it's an instrument, mm-hmm. right? It's an instrument in the, right. in the surgeon's hand. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just that tool. I'm just that instrument. And like, it, it gives me this mental image of, of, you know, someone coming up to Paul and being like, I like your lipstick and him, you know, like tearing his shirt off. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I never did that. <laughs> I mean, like, but I don't, I, the reason why I go back to that is I don't think Paul would have, you know, like if somebody's like, hey, Paul, uh, I like your buzz cut, like nice job on the hair. I think Paul would have said thank you and kept on moving. Sweet but tent. like if somebody is mistaking like his wisdom Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. his instead of God's, if someone is mistaking his abilities, his giftings, you know, his power as something that's his instead of God's, if someone is mistaken, like in the passage, he's being mistaken as a God himself. And I yeah. think that's helpful for us because it helps us to see how our reaction should be lipstick, hair, thank you, and move on. But something <laughs> that actually takes real glory away from God, like, no, 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 let's correct that with intensity and yeah. passion. It makes me think of your um, Rome story, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm... Are you telling that in your I message? think I might, yeah. It's just so, it's so funny to us. All right, then I won't spoil <laughs> it. If you haven't listened to the message, go, yeah, listen, go to the listen to the message. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I think all of this conversation leads to kind of the last question I have for us, which is just managing this tension, like you said, Randy, it's not a problem to solve, it's tension to manage, but how can we actively know if a goal, desire we have is actually for the acceptance of other people or if it is something that is bringing glory to God? You know, how do we know? Is this good or bad? 
I don't know if this is what you're going for necessarily with this question, but what it makes me think of is um, I, I definitely have some people-pleasing tendencies. And, you know, the phrase that I always try to keep in front of myself is audience of one, that mm. everything I do is for an audience of one. It's, it's for the Lord, and it's about pointing people to the Lord. Um, and so, and that's kind of, that goes with my people-pleasing tendency. And so something that I have learned when I'm trying to discern this kind of thing is if, if something I'm working on or something I do, and this is very specific, gets criticized, if I take it personally and get offended and get my feelings hurt and let it ruin my week, then I was probably doing that thing for the acceptance of other people. Whereas if I'm working on something and I am trying to follow God's lead as I take next steps with that, um, then as those criticisms come up, I've just noticed about myself that I tend to view it a little bit differently and it affects me differently. So that's really specific. I love that though, Michelle, because I think what you're getting at is like exploring and discerning our motivations, you know, yeah. and, and the motivations of the heart. And like, I think that's one of the things I'm learning about myself. And I think this is true for all of us is that like, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding that there's so much complexity inside of our hearts and heads that I can actually be simultaneously both, Yeah. you know, like truly simultaneously having some portion of this that's about trying to please people. And then also some portion of this that's about trying to glorify God. And it's about working through that and, and seeing, and seeing the, the, the desire to glorify God went out over leading us into repentance and asking God to, to, to work those things out of our heart and like really just kind of leaning into that complexity. Like it makes me think of the, the spirit versus flesh battle, you know? And, and I think mm-hmm. we, we forget that and we try to make these things like, you know, black and white when in reality there's a whole lot of complexity here and it's like there is this battle going on inside of us between our flesh and our spirit. And so for some specific goal, some specific desire, that spirit flesh battle is taking place and ultimately what we want to do is see the spirit triumph in our life and like that's the point where God's going to get the glory and then God's going to, you know, uh, rightly uh, do redo those desires in our heart to to take the praise. Mm. Yeah, that's good. But there's a lot of complexity there. Is what I'm learning. Yeah, there really is. It is. Well, one thing that uh, that has always been helpful to me, and that I, I love to just share with people, is just I love to ask uh, you know college age students, students in high school, you know why? You know, like you have these dreams, these goals, these desi- desires. Just ask why. You know, it's, it's, it's a funny question that my kids drive me crazy with. But when you start to drill down, even for myself and my own heart, you know, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to buy. Whatever it is. And just saying like, but, but why? And um, just the, the, the vulnerability with myself of just, why do I really want that? You know, maybe I just, I have a passion for the way things look and that's cool and that's great. But if I'm honest with myself, is it I'm trying to, look a certain way, or I want to impress someone or a certain group of people, prove someone wrong or whatever it may be. I just think that's, that's such a powerful exercise to just ask. And I love doing that with young people in just the season of life where they have everything in front of them. You know, hey, that's your dream. That's your goal. Cool. Uh, but why? And, you know, okay, well, you want a, a good and stable job and make lots of money? Great. Why? 
and just keep kind of drilling down. And, and not that it's necessarily right or wrong where they're going, just for them to be honest with themselves about what's the driving force and factor, I think is kind of a powerful exercise. I'm glad you brought that up, Joseph, because I really think that why filter that you talk about in the message, like just putting that why filter in our brains uh, to help search our hearts and, and discern our motives. I think it's probably one of the most practical, helpful, tangible pieces in the whole message. Cool. Well, I think this is a really, uh, this is a, uh, some hard stuff from Jesus this week, but I appreciate uh, getting to hear from you guys and talking it out. Hey, Joseph, one last word of advice. <laughs> like one last word of advice for people. I, I, like go sketch your crush. It works. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. yes. <laughs> Don't, learn from our mistakes and uh, go with Randy. Yes. Don't take your dog. Don't paint your house. Uh, if we can leave you with any wisdom today, <laughs> get to drawing. Oh, man. All right. Well, this is fun. Uh, and we love you guys. And we hope you tune in next week.